HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Omsom, your new pantry staple that brings proud, loud Asian flavors into your home kitchen. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Lower East Side of Manhattan. We got Nastasia the Hammer Lopez coming from we from a newly renovated power and internet cord, which is currently draped across her lawn, being pooped on by geese in Stamford, Connecticut. I actually we have Matt in I guess his Brooklyn booth, booth correct? What Rhode Island? Bro, have they changed the name yet? Have you lost the Providence Plantation yet, or you still got the long name? I don't think that was an official thing. That was like, you know, we live in the era of unilateral executive decisions, so that was a Ramondo joint. It's not the real, like, legal name of the state. Okay. And uh, finally, uh, I don't know where you are, John. Where are you now? Are you, you're not in Murray Hill now, right? No, I'm in Alpine, New Jersey. Ooh, Alpine, New Jersey. Uh, n- not really aptly named. No, no, not at all. I mean, you look out your window in Alpine, New Jersey, you're going to see, like, other houses, like, some trees. I mean, it's, it's ritzy, it's nice, but, like, you know, like, you're not going to see the yodeler from The Price is Right, which, by the way, I can never, for some reason, I can never mentally... Do you ever have songs in your head that you love them, but you can't mentally gel the tune? Like, you can't whistle it, you can't sing it, but when you hear it, you're like, oh, my God, yes? The Price is Right yodeler is one of those things for me. The Price is Right yodeler? You don't know the yodeler? What? We built him in the lab, remember, at the FCI, and he, like, climbed to the temperature of uh, sous vide cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we were trying to teach people, like, different temperatures and not going over and under, so we got the prices. We did a – Nastasia, I think, printed out. We cut out the Price is Right yodeler, and the the theory of the Price is Right yodeler – first of all, for those of you who clearly, like, you guys grew up, like – like in a sewage grate with the with the Ninja Turtles. The Price is Right is a television show wherein you try to guess the price of something. <laughs> All right. For many years, it was hosted by uh, Bob Barker. You might only remember him from uh, that Adam Sandler movie where he beats the crap out of Adam Sandler on the golf course. But he actually was a host. The Price is Right, and they had little games that they would play where people would guess prices. And Nastasia and I, like one of our favorites is this yodeler. And what happens is, is that you, uh, you guess a price. And if you're like off by like, you know, $20, it has to, it climbs up the mountain and yodels as it does by like 20 units. I can't remember what he actually does though. I can't ever remember his actual yodeling tune. And then if, you, if you're wrong, if you go too far, then he falls off the mountain and dies and you don't win, you know, your washer-dryer combo, which is, I guess, what you're playing for is your washer-dryer combo. It's a great show. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Have you ever seen the documentary on The Price is Right? All right. All right. It's, look, maybe not for you worth watching, but for me, definitely worth watching. So there was this guy, I forget his name, and there's a couple people who have done it where what he did was he watched The Price is Right. Like, he didn't have a job. He just watched The Price is Right, and he kept track of everything they ever did on Price is Right. He kept, like, a database of all the stuff that they had ever done on Price is Right. And so he kind of, 
and they would always kind of go back to the well and dip back in and always like choose something that maybe a little bit different but with the same like uh, suggested retail price. And so he just knew what they were going to ask. And he would stand out in the line every day trying to get picked and then go into the audience every day trying to get picked. And it took years for him, for, for you know, for, come on down, because that's what they say. Come on down, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And you come down and you have to guess, right? But he'd never been called. So he showed up and he was there every day trying to, every day he could be in California because I don't think he lived in California. He would go and try to get on. And he finally got on and he guessed everything like on the nose, like on the nose, such that people are like, what the, what, what the hell? You know what I mean? And I think uh, like he almost got banned at one point. It was, it's, it, it's interesting for, for those of you who like The Price is Right. But anyway, Price is Right Yodeler is a song that I can't keep in my head. And when you're in Alpine, New Jersey, you might look out and think you're going to see beautiful Alpine mountains, but you won't. In fact, the closest thing that to a mountain you have is a cliff you can fall off of, but you can't see it from the New Jersey side. If you want to see the cliff, you have to go to the New York side and look across the river and it's called the Palisades. You with me on this, John? Yes, you're very right so far. Yeah. Although Palisades Park, you ever taken a walk up to Palisades Park? No, I haven't. Very nice. So like, the, very nice. So like, uh, we have this weird, it's actually an interesting geological feature, not impressive for those of you that live, uh, I live in the mountains, I live in, I live in the Rockies. Bleh. But like, for those of us that live in you know, the relatively flat East Coast, like the Hudson River, like was here already, and the Palisades kind of rose up next to it, and so there's this cliff face that's cut through where the Hudson River comes through, and there's a park, and you can walk along the cliff edge, which is a little bit gives me a little bit of agita, but they have like handrails, and you can walk. Unfortunately, there's also like a car parkway right there, but it's still a nice walk. You should check it out. Uh, John, what are you what are you doing out there, and what are you cooking? So I am up here cooking for uh, some U.S. Open tennis players, specifically Novak Djokovic, um, as he's gearing up for the U.S. Open, helping a longtime friend of mine uh, cook. He's the one who has worked with his family before and done this, I think this is his third year running now for the U.S. Open. Um, and yeah, it's pretty different than what I am used to. It's vegan, gluten-free cooking. The last time I cooked for him, actually, two years ago, he was at least still doing fish, but no more, apparently. Huh. Um, Why yeah. do you think he does that, John? I have no idea. I'm trying to find out more about his dietary habits. And so, actually, Dave, we were just talking about this before you joined. What purpose would boiling nuts three times and then dehydrating them do? Who's gonna, who, which nuts did you boil? Any nuts. No, come on, dude. These nuts. Anyway, but like, <laughs> didn't you didn't know? <laughs> didn't, didn't think of it. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, <laughs> who knows, man? Who knows? Who knows? Like, someone's worried about some what? He like this guy. He's in that movie that I told you about, The Game Changers, where they where all these athletes and these these people that like want to be at the top of their game and who that guy that ran the Appalachian Trail or whatever, they all have the same diet and and they believe that it makes them stronger and better and quicker like at thinking. Yeah. And and Aristotle believed that if a, if a woman exerted herself and did too much exercise that she might sprout a penis. People can be wrong. Even smart people can be just wrong about things. You know what I mean? So it's like like, yes, I agree with you, Dave, but then at the same time to also be with what Nastasia is saying, like, you know, these people, I'm looking at this documentary now, the game changers, like Lewis Hamilton, Novak Djokovic, Jackie Chan, like, these are all people at the top of their game. Is this guy good, by the way? This Djokovic guy is a good... I don't know anything about tennis. One of the the best in, in our in our time right now. All right, so listen, we, like, something that I, who I've heard of because of Nastasia, Tom Brady, right? Yeah. Now. Dave, like, are you going to just go to the tomato thing again like that's the only thing you cite with him and like you need to get that's over all i that. care about i don't I care know, about his football that's prowess ridiculous. like okay no, what i'm saying is the is tomato that... out and think about all the other stuff that he does that, like that it's the same diet that that Djokovic is doing it's just like maybe he doesn't like tomatoes maybe someone gave him bad information that's but fine like, but yeah, that's the whole point. That's what I'm but, saying. But you're just basing the entire, like this entire thing that John just said and named off all these people. And you're like, but the tomatoes. 
Like, well, I, I don't know anything about their diets, so I'm going to the one that we've discussed because I have some knowledge of what the person has said. And I don't know why you're getting, I don't really understand why you're getting so bent. There must be a reason, but okay. But my point is, if you let me finish my point, I think it's completely stupid. And so here's what I think. Do I think that Tom Brady, because I don't know this other guy from a hot rock, because the world's greatest tennis player could knock on my door and hand me a package, and I'd say thanks and shut the door in his face, because I have no idea who he is, right? So it's like, the other good Tom Brady thing is he was in that uh, show with, uh, with, with uh, who is it, Rudd. Did you see that show? No, Dave. No. The premise of it is that, that you go to a spa, and they, they, they actually murder you and clone you. Living with yourself? Yeah, yeah, living with yourself. They, I'm not giving a lot away. They murder you and they clone you, right? And so, and the idea is is that your telomeres and everything, you get like a baby's telomeres and all this other stuff. So you're like a fresh copy of yourself that hasn't been beat down. Like you have all your memories and everything, but you're a brand new fresh physical copy of your current age self, best self, right? And so one of the jokes, and he played into it, which made me kind of like him a little more, is Brady is in it as like that's how he stayed kind of current by having himself like murdered and rebuilt like nine times. He's like, I come here like every week. Yeah, anyway, classic. Uh, So I'm gonna go ahead and say, maybe it's that he's rich. Well, first of all, like genetically predisposed to being a good athlete, trains like a mother, has talent in the sport that they wanna do, and just is rich enough to do whatever they need to do to train and like works at it constantly because that's their job. I'm going to say that probably that's the important part of it. And having a crazy diet helps them focus on their body being the most important thing in their life. But it's not the actual diet that's doing it. It's just the crazy amount of focus, work, and money they're spending on it. Plus a lot of talent and like, you know, good luck to have the genes to do that. I'm going to go ahead and say it's that. I think it's a little more than that. I think, right? Like, I don't know. When you eat, like, a burgers over the course of a oh, day. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Sorry. Everybody, sorry. Yeah, family Jen, family how family many beefs <laughs> am I going to need today? No, but use but all the Dave, beefs. Dave, so, like, elephants and rhinos and, hor- like, all the, the, uh, the herbivores. Like, if you don't eat meat, then you should be a weak thing. Okay, listen. Because you can't elephants, build muscle. Are, elephants right? are huge in plotting, right? Like... like Apex predators are what? Carnivores. Oh, ding, 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 that's ding. A, that's self, but that's, no, of but course saying, they are, because no, no, you can't have, you know, a predator means they're a carnivore. Matt, I don't believe what I'm saying. I'm just saying that Nastasia's logic is bad, because I could easily present logic on the other side that says exactly the opposite. I think it's all horse hockey. John, all of it. T- John, go tell him that. Go tell him horse that, and then, you know, right. don't don't make that money. Here, yeah, yeah. This is why you're such a jack white, Stas. This is why you're so no, John, John, he needs to be told. I never said not to go make the John, money. He needs to be told. No one said not yeah. to go make the money. Please play and I never said even speak to, You're such a jerk. John, just, just secret some meat in there and then tell him yeah. after he wins no, the opener. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. by the way, yeah, you did go. that with the meat and I only boiled your nuts twice. Right. Never do that. Yeah. Listen, if someone yeah. came up to me and said, listen, I only want you to, uh, you can only use Fruit Loops. That's the only ingredient. I'd be like, all right, let's see what I can do with Fruit Loops. I mean, I don't care. It's I'm not eating it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I I don't have any like issue with what someone else's diet is unless okay, I'll give you an example. Here's why I'm pissed about the Brady thing. My mom and my stepfather believe it. And so now I have to deal with them changing their diet for something that's completely dumb. And they don't even have the support that Brady has or these other people have to do all these things. And they believe it. You know, it's like, it's, it's like people make these decisions. If you make the decision and you genuinely like having like a crazy diet and it actually like makes you feel more authentically whole as a person, then do it. You know what I mean? If, if you like the taste of, you know, not eating anything but triple boiled D's nuts, then you know what? Eat triple boiled D's but nuts. But I'm sure but John like is making like amazing that- vegetables and stuff and like that's okay. And I really think you could do without meat. I can do without meat. Anybody could do without meat. Did I say you could not? No, but, but it sounds like you're saying that if you choose to not eat meat, that's crazy. 
Okay, I'm specifically not saying that. Okay. I specifically you're, you're I am not saying that, that it doesn't this make you is better. crazy. What it I'm saying is this guy is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like and and also like to say the argument that you hear where all of these high performance people who are part of a dietary cult, right? That is my issue with it. These people are high-performing people in a dietary cult. Non-high-performing people look at them and think, if I do this dietary cult, maybe I will be a tennis star. You won't. No, I don't think it's that, Dave. I think that what they're saying is, yes, we are like superhuman species. And you know what puts me over the edge? That 5% not having this diet and not eating the meat that weighs me down. That's what they're saying. Of course, these people are like incredible at what they do, but they, they, they did it one way and they did it another way. And they're like, I am 5% better if I cut out this thing. And that 5% matters. Um, okay. <laughs> That's, Look, I'm just gonna, telling you what, what we're it's We're not going to agree on this. Okay. okay. So it's all mental. It's not all mental. It's they make a certain decision to take like, to, to go crazy in terms of training. And it's part of that. It's overdetermined. None of these are controlled experiments. This is all, this is all craziness. It's a cult. It's like when someone's like, joy listen, raw food, right? And if you want to eat raw food, go ahead and eat raw food, right? If you read raw food cookbooks, some of them written by people that I like to hang out with, even some like what, I'm not going to name any names, right? They all talk about the glow, the this, the that, cult-like language. Do you remember when we had Rangham on the show, the, the Harvard professor who was like, yeah, like what makes us human is the fact that we cook food. Like literally you need to spend all day, every day eating food. It's another cult diet. It's all the same. It's another cult diet. What do you think? Like truly, what do you think? About what? About what Dave is saying. What am I saying? I, I'm asking them what to am I saying? what you're saying. What, I don't know. The, I'm asking them, what do you think of what Dave is saying? No, 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 no. What do you think I am saying? I'm not going to decipher it for them. I'm asking them. I don't want to hear what they think about what I said until they tell me what they think I said, because you said I think I, you're I saying like you're not playing a lot of, you're not placing a lot of importance on uh, your, your discounting food science. I'm not discounting like food science. I think that it's nutritional science. What? Nutritional science. I'm not even discount. No, like I am discounting cults. I am discounting cults. I haven't watched. Okay. Because I haven't watched a documentary produced by someone who probably believes in the cult. Okay. Like, I don't believe in cults. If it's real, great. Sounds like a cult to me. I mean, listen, he's, you know, these people, and especially in this documentary, they're all athletes at the very top of their game. Again, like, yes, practice, you know, working out, money, all that definitely plays into it. But, like, you can't discount, I don't think, you know, that diet plays a hugely important role into that. And I agree with Nastasia. You know, maybe 5% is a little too much. But even if it makes them 2 or 3% better than the other people, you know, like in this case in, in tennis, then, like, do it. If it seems, if that seems to be the thing that's working and making the change, like... I think there's something to it. And to perform at the level that these people perform at, again, like you can't just be shoveling random stuff into your body. It needs to be. Did I say shovel random stuff into your body? Did I say eat hot pockets, AKA poo pockets? <laughs> then what are you saying you should eat Dave to be at the top of your game? It doesn't I don't know. I'm not an expert in that. I don't care. I'm not a cult leader. And I'm also not like a performance athlete. But I just they looked did it up. a you bunch of research. You both, it's chicken breasts and eggs. And that's the fastest freaking dude that, that's lived in my lifetime. The man doesn't like broccoli. He eats it. He eats eggs. He would be faster. Maybe he'd be faster. No, like maybe not. <laughs> maybe faster than the fastest. What I'm yeah. saying is, is that this is, this is just cult language. And 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was a different cult. People were like, I need to eat nothing but beefsteak and protein. It, the yes, cults and change. they say that the in the documentary. Okay. The, the cults change from week to week. Okay. This is good. No, this is good. This, that was bad. Everything we knew before is bad. Do this. Like people need to make money. They need a new cult, whatever. And so, and, and someone who's like an amazing. But it's also who, good for the environment to not have all these cows everywhere and killing fuck like all of the the. the um, why are you back on meat? It's not the only issue in this thing.
Like meat is not the only. That's the only issue I'm talking about in this because vegan. Well, but, then, but, yeah, but you're not. That's not what we're talking about. You want it to be. I'm saying something against meat and I uh, against vegetarianism, and that's not what I'm saying. So like, you can't make me be saying that because that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying I don't like food cults. I think they are bad for the world. I think they are bad for Americans. I think they are bad for our overall health and definitely bad for our pocketbooks because we spend all this money on crazy stuff. V what he is is vegan. No, he's not just vegan. You have to, bo you have to triple boil his nuts. He's, he, he has a crazy diet. Yeah, I'm going to look at that more. boil his nuts and make sure that there's not all of these weird triggers in his diet. That is not normal diet. That's a cult diet. David J. Foster's in chat, and I believe this is relevant to this. He says, he says, Dave, what do you think about oat bran? Oh my God, trolling me. Is this a cult thing what? or is this a, oh, okay. I don't well, know what's don't, going on. Yeah, like, so it's like, there's a famous, famous thing from the 80s called the oat, oat rush where everyone, I think that's what you're talking about, where it was, there was a very bad study I mean, that was a bad study, but, it, you know, it was like too many conclusions were drawn from it where, and it's paid for by the oat people, that if you consumed X amount of oat bran, your cholesterol would go down. So, like, everybody, like, you know, was, like, you know, jumping out of windows trying to get oat bran into their, into their, um, into their products, and it's called the Great Oat Rush. And it was, it's all horse hock. It's all garbage. It's, it's all, it's all filth. It's all lies. You know what I mean? It's like, is oat bran bad for you? No. I'm sure that like a diet containing oat bran is, can be a great diet. There's, I like oat bran. I like oats. You know what I'm saying? But to build a cult around oats, that's bananas. Well, I do think that if you are an athlete, you have a nutritionist and a person that's constantly monitoring you and someone that's on top of this and that and a million people that have a stake in your game. And so I imagine that whatever they're doing and whatever they're asking for, they're asking for it because they've done some research on this human that supplies their paychecks. So... There's that. I mean, look, I think that's 100% true, right? So it's like if you if you have enough money to have full-time people and you're doing blood labs constantly and you like know what your like, you know, what the glucose levels in your blood are all throughout the day and you know all of your oxygenation levels and you're doing all of these metrics that you know we do maybe once a year at best and then they can like ramp individual things that you eat up and down so that you get those numbers exactly where you want it. Yeah, that's spending money for performance. Like that's like Formula One racing stuff. Like that's all true, right? However, it's like in, in cooking, right? One of the things I don't like about Cooks Illustrated and that whole theory of how things work is they're like the best brownies, the best cookies, as though there is one best way. The best way to have the optimum nutrition in terms of just using your body as a machine is to have paid people sit around and do lab work on you constantly and tweak you up and down. But no one is saying that that's what we should do. Instead, they're convincing my poor parents to eat crazy cult food. Do you see the difference? In cult food, they're just saying that you're not going to be able to get that kind of care and lab work that these people are getting, but they are but the people that are getting this care and doing the lab work at this level, the overarching theme is plant-based. Among this group of people, among this group of people. So who's the other group? Usain Bolt, I just told you, he's the first person I thought of. I was like, who's the best athlete in a field that I can ever think of? Us Usain Bolt. And what does he eat? Eggs and chicken. All day long and pasta. He's pasta, eggs, and chicken. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what I'm saying is, is that does this subgroup of athletes, do they believe it? And believing something can make you better at something, by the way. We all know that, right? So it's like, sure, great. And, you know, I'm sure that if my parents had the money to, like, have a team of doctors round the clock, like, tweaking every blood level, and they didn't care about living their life like real persons and just wanted to turn their bodies into machines. I don't know why, you know, 60-something and almost 70-year-old person would want to do that, but okay.
you know? Meanwhile, I'll keep eating tomatoes and gluten, thank you, even when I'm not having meat. And I will eat my nuts as I like them, and I will not boil them. Great. All right. All right. Do we have any? <laughs> uh, listener question? Oh, it's, it's a cult. It's just damaging. It just really is damaging. It's also like I also hate like food as food as a as a proxy for morality. I hate food as a proxy for um, behavior. It's like food is food, right? If you're a, like like I say, like the equivalent of a Formula One car in human. Why don't you talk about your diet that you did many 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 years ago? I've done that diet a bunch of times. The Blunch diet. Yeah. The Blunch diet. Talk about why you did that, and because I wanted to get thinner. Mm-hmm. And what was it? Blunch? Mm-hmm. You're familiar, familiar with, with brunch? brunch? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> okay, Stas. Here's being I'm not even going to deal with you. I'm not even going to deal with you. Crap on you. I'm done with you. Go on. All right. talk, talk about the diet. Why? You're being a jerk. I'm not. Just talk. You, you said you didn't know what brunch is. I was joking, Dave. Everyone All knows right. what brunch is. Apparently not. Go ahead. So, brunch... And here's what I was looking for. And Nastasia wouldn't even do the setup, right? Brunch is when you combine breakfast and lunch because you want to, right? That's brunch with an R. Blunch is when you decide to eat only one meal a day other than dinner. So the Blunch diet is all about, my, one, my theory about uh, dieting is uh, in, in terms of, I have two theories about dieting. One and these are not these are not real. This is my own personal. This is like my own personal cult slash religious beliefs. But the it does work, right? In terms of if your only goal is to lose lose weight, right? Is if you can if you choose what you eat on a day to day basis, it's hard to stay eating kind of like within a very like small set of parameters. Also. Uh, if you have a lot of different things that you eat all the time, like you find it interesting and so you tend to eat more. If you just choose one thing that you can have for your, uh, your, 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 your blunch, right? And then that's all you eat all the way up to, um, to dinner time, right? Then you don't crave anything anymore really because you know what you're going to have. So I've done like, I've done it like two, three times and the first time I did blunch, the blunch was an everything bagel with nothing on it. That was blunch. And then it, that was all I had. Very effective. I dropped a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of weight. And then at dinner, like 60 pounds. At dinner, right, you, you can have, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to go crazy, but you eat with other people. So the idea is, is that during the daytime when you're not eating with other people, you just do blunch. And then at dinner time, you, you eat whatever everyone else is eating so you get to be social, right? And the theory there is, is that your body really, you know, if, if you're combining all of your eating into one section, your body can't process everything uh, as effectively as if you ate over a, like a long period of time, which is why people who want to have their food processed effectively space their meals out into lots of small meals. I don't want my body to process it. I want to poop out as much as is humanly possible. In the, and I've said this on the show before, like in the extreme, think about it this way. If you ate a gallon of oil, what you would do, if you drank it, what you would do is go directly to the toilet and poop out a gallon of oil. Your body would not be able to, uh, to process it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Blunch, like in my case, works. I've done the, the bagel blunch. The problem with the bagel blunch was I also lost an immense amount of muscle mass during that. The other problem with blunch is that you, um, you get real angry around dinner time. Like real angry, like very angry around dinner time. Uh, later blunches, I do the two egg blunch, the two hard boiled egg blunch, and that works. You don't lose as much muscle mass. And I don't believe in it because I don't, I don't try to cotton to anyone that has an axe to grind in nutritional science. But there's a lot of people now who are into intermittent fasting. So the blunch diet is now called intermittent fasting by people, and a lot of people do it and take special nutritional subs. Um, what's it called, supplements, so that they don't lose too much muscle mass during the Blunch diet. But the Blunch diet works for me. I don't advocate it for other people, though. But there you have it, Blunch. Is that what you wanted me to say, Stas? Yep. And why did you want me to talk about that? No reason. I'd rather do the vegan diet that I'm doing here than do that. That sounds miserable. How do you even, of course you're cranky by dinner time. You're not getting any nutrients. Well, I'm not doing it for performance. You don't get to, like... 
Like there is no actual diet wherein you eat whatever you want and you lose weight unless you like radically increase the, your, your amount of uh, energy expenditure. No, there's not. No, you, no, no. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying, of course I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, there, there's not. Yeah. So if you want to lose weight, Hey, it's going to suck. And then at least the advantage of Blunch is that at dinner time you can be a normal, once you get the first couple of bites of food in and your anger subsides, you can be a normal person. Eat whatever everyone else is eating. Mm-hmm. I'm giving up this. I'm giving up that. No, I'm giving up choice and I'm giving up like eating normal meals during the day. Boom. That's what I give up. Uh, but, but I tell you what, two eggs, that's real cheap. I don't have to like sit there and like boil $50 worth of nuts and toss the, toss, toss the boiling water up. And I'm not recommending it for anybody else. Okay. Lunch. But why do you even want me to talk about that stuff? No reason. Did, what did, we should instead talk about is a like, like, Cajun why, chef deep fryer. Why would you want me to talk about it for no reason, though? What does that mean? There's got to be a reason. Like, what's reason? talking about crazy diets, and I thought about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't advocate it, but uh, it does work. This episode is brought to you by Omsom, your new pantry staple that brings proud, loud Asian flavors into your home kitchen. Omsom partners with iconic Asian chefs to create rip and pour starters, which pack all the specialty sauces, aromatics, and seasonings needed to cook specific Asian dishes. No more diluted dishes, no more cultural compromise. Just bold Asian flavors at your fingertips, sitting right in your pantry between the tomato sauce and the olive oil. Learn more at omsom.com. That's O-M-S-O-M.com. Um, what are we talking about, John? Cajun Chef deep fryers. Is there any major benefit? Well, let's talk about that? deep fryers. Speaking of speaking of angry, so Nastasia Lopez made friends. No, Nastasia Lopez was gonna make friends with a, a, a crow, but she hated the crow, so she chased it off. Then felt she's making friends with some hawks, and then she's made friends with my least favorite of all birds. She made friends with some geese, unbeknownst to me. Unbeknownst to me. Now, Nastasia Lopez, what? Never visit, so you wouldn't know. I talk to you every day. You, how do I know about the? How do I know about the hawk and the and the crow? I know, because I talked to you about the geese too. No, you didn't. Not until after this happened. No, oh, Dave, I told you about the geese. Remember, we had that bet. You're like, I'm gonna come back in spring, right, with the babies. Oh, I, well, no, you said, why do you find geese so terrifying? Yeah, then, I said they're not that bad. I walked straight through their gaggle, I guess. And I said, wait till they have babies. And I know, I said they're super cute. And then you said you're going to come back and do something to them. I forget what we're going to do. We're like, anyway, the point is, is that, so like when I had a place in Connecticut, I had a, a deep, an outdoor deep fryer. It wasn't an outdoor deep fryer like the Cajun fryer that we're going to talk about in a minute. It was an indoor commercial stainless steel fryer that I had fitted to run on propane. So it's not the kind of thing, honestly, that you should leave outside all the time uncovered. But what it is, is a great kind of, if you're going to have an outdoor event that you're going to run off of propane, it's a great fryer for that. And it's, it's fairly easy to take any commercial gas equipment and retrofit it for propane. You just need to, you know, a different orifice and, you know, you need to change a couple of things. Uh, and so anyways, uh, so when I moved out of Connecticut, I was like, hey, Stas, let's put this there in case we ever have parties or anything we can fry. And then we, we never did. So Nastasia's is like, get it the hell out. Is that what you said? Yeah. One way, you know, pretty much. So I was like, okay. This. Yeah. So I came to throw it in my Subaru. And of course, I'm there. My two dogs, Booker, Dax, and Jen, my wife, we're all there. And everyone has some sort of opinion about how to, like, whether this fryer should go into the, you know, uh, Subaru, whether or not it's okay to store it at my sister-in-law's house, whether I have permission to store it at my sister-in-law's house. And I'm like, I don't care about any of this. I'm putting it in a car now, right? Was I wrong? And it fit. It fit. But, like, 
why did I need a whole bunch of opinions at that point? It seemed like, in retrospect, it seems like I should have sat around and discussed people's feelings about how to get this thing into the back of the Subaru and where it was going to end up in life and what my long-term life plans were for the Friar. But all I had in my head is Nastasia Lopez wants this thing out of her house. I'm driving past her house, which I don't usually do. I have a car. I'm going to shove it into the car. That's all I'm thinking. Was I, was I completely off base there, Stas? Should I have been like, should we have had some sort of like a sit down? No. Right, right. So as Nastasia pointed out later, was I in the best mood? No. No. <laughs> so these freaking geese are on, Nastasia has a beautiful lawn, right? It's a beautiful lawn. It's like, imagine having like a mowed lawn that somebody else mows for you that is like right on the water. It's like, it goes lawn, rock wall, and you could fish right from the lawn into, into the thing. No pesky sand. You know I hate sand. No sand. Great lawn, right? The only problem with it is what? The geese. So I don't know Nastasia's friends with these geese. I, I, in retrospect now, I remember I made a bet that when they, have, when they have goslings, we can go, you can name it Ryan, and we can go and chase after it, and we can watch the mama. Now, anyway... So I see these geese and I'm like, I, I, I hate you so, like I was, I hate you so much. I hate geese, Canadian geese, not, not because they're Canadian, but whatever. And, uh, yeah, so I tore after them and Stathia's like, they're my friends, you're frightening them. Did they come back? Are they still there? No, they did not come back. Nastasia, what are you making up lies for? Come on, really? Yeah, really. Well, you know what people, for any of you who've ever lived in Westchester, or have ever lived in Connecticut, apparently you can hire me to show up on your lawn and when I scare these geese, they stay scared because people spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars at airports, hotels, anywhere that has a big lawn to try to keep these geese away from their place so that there won't be all the squawking and pooping and pooping and squawking and molesting people. So if I solo person have enough anger inside of me to scare away these geese for good. I'm sorry that I did that to you because you want them there, but maybe that should be our business instead of selling torch attachments and, and, and centrifuges. Yes. Yes. Cause that's a marketable freaking skill. Mm-hmm. Scaring geese away. Come on. Uh, speaking of uh, Sears, why don't you tell us the latest news on Amazon? Uh, well, they're back in stock, right, John? Yes. Well, Wait, back no. in stock and shipping out next week. Yeah, so they're not actually back in stock. Yeah. You can pre-order them. Yeah. Yes. All right. Do uh, you want to tell the story no, about why what don't the... you just Why don't you say it quickly? All right. I thought you wanted to tell. No, no, no. It's just the, this usual thing. They don't know. They don't pay us on time because we can't prove that we put all the Searsals on the boat. And so you might have the you might have the impression listening to this program that. I'm the one who always gets angry, but nothing is more joyous than when Nastasia Lopez loses her cool on like the UPS, on Amazon, uh, you know, like a, like a lot of it not repeatable on a, on a family on a family program. And um, so again, to reiterate, am, we give the Searsalls to Amazon, which we did months and months ago in uh, at, at Shenzhen in China. And they own them from that point, and then they habitually don't, apparently don't even ship them over here. I don't know why it's taking so long to get them into stock. But then uh, they claim that they haven't received them in the United States, and they want proof that that they shipped them, right? Which is crazy. So Nastasia and I were like, like called our factory in China. We're like, I want you to take a video of you and pictures of you handing the pallets. And I want pictures. I want both of you smiling, holding the contract, and shaking hands. And if you're not smiling, I'm not paying, right? And then Nastasia then sends this to our Amazon contact. And our Amazon contact goes, we don't accept video proof of delivery. What? Like, you dumb <laughs> bastard. <laughs> like, like. Yeah. Uh, this is what we deal with people. All right. From so what, what what will they accept as proof? They, they won't. They want to see the bill that they signed. That they signed as proof. 
But they well, they want actually proof that it arrived in the U.S., right? Yeah, they want to see the the bill of lading, the bill that that arrived at the warehouse that they signed. And I'm like, I don't know how to. I don't. You work there, and then I said, Dave and I are totally have the time to get part time jobs in an Amazon warehouse. And he was like, That's not funny. <laughs> You're like, No, but we'll do it. You're like, No, but we'll do it. But look, I'll give you. I've used many analogies. Maybe people in the U.S. get this one. Get this one more. It's like you went to the grocery store, right? They handed you the receipt, right? And then you got home, right? And you like, you go and you're like, where are the Fritos, honey? I bought Fritos. You look at the receipt. The receipt says Fritos, right? They scanned it and you're like, maybe they didn't put it into the bag at the store. So you drive back to the store and you're like, you didn't put the Frito in my bag. And then they look at the videotape and the videotape clearly shows the, the cash register person putting the Fritos into the bag and you taking the bag of Fritos and putting it into your cart and going out to the car. And you're like, well, I don't know. It never made it into my house. So I'm not paying for the Fritos. And that's basically what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so the, it's legitimate. Maybe they didn't put the Fritos in the bag. We've all had that happen. I hope you eat Fritos because Fritos are delicious. But we've all had it happen. But then when you go, when you show them the videotape and the receipt and you're like, hey, look, we, clearly we scanned it. It's here. Here's the Fritos. Nine times out of ten, by the way, you left a bag on the counter, which is what Amazon is doing. We hand them all the bags. We put it in the cart. They leave the bag in the cart and they put the cart in, into the cart bin and they drive away and they leave the Fritos in the cart. That's what Amazon is doing. Anyway. It's always exactly one box of Searsalls, by the way. It's a unit number of boxes of Searsalls. Yeah. How many in a box, Stas? Do you remember? 27. Anyway. Uh, God, like, when you were at Stanford, did you ever think, like, that someone would ask you how many units in a pallet? And you'd be like, 27. <laughs> no. And that ass hat at Amazon was like, you know, I know this is really hard for you guys, but you use your Stanford brain to get around Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. oh man! Oh, and that's geez. why I named one of the invoices "Fu Amazon." So we had another incident, semi-food related. So, like, we—it turns out that if you do business with Booker and Dax LLC, the I guess parent company of, uh, along with Heritage Radio, the Cooking Issues Program, it's a company affair here. Um, you, like, odds are eventually you'll get a nickname. At first it'll be because I don't remember who you are or maybe it's because you've done something crazy. I'm not going to say what it is, right? Or, or, or maybe it's because you've done something crazy or maybe it, it doesn't have to be any of those. It could just be like whatever. It just happens, right? And so then, and by the way, this is separate. Like in the real life, when you meet Nastasia Lopez, you will get entered into her phone along with a descriptor. And so, right or wrong? Yeah, yeah. So like mine says Dave douche, right? No, there's just a picture of your head on my buddy. Look <laughs> at my buddy doll. Anyway, uh, so like Peter Kim, like Nastasia's known him for like what, like 10 years now or something like this? Yeah, still Peter lawyer in the phone. He hasn't been a lawyer in like eight years. Anyway, um, where was I? So you have a nickname. So then what happens is, is that like I, I'm writing like an email, you know, like semi-serious email and I, I use the nickname and the thing so that everyone will know what I'm talking about. And it's not a bad nickname. It's like we have some bad nicknames, right? It wasn't one of the bad nicknames. Not offensive nicknames, just not, you know, pleasant. You know what I'm saying? And, but this one's fine. It's, there's nothing. And Nastasia forwards it to him, right? Yeah, well, that's when I didn't have internet, and it was just easier to get the answer by forwarding the e the email with the question <laughs> in it. And the guy was like, "What is this?" He's also the guy that I accidentally sent a naked picture of Dave to. So it, not, not actually a naked picture. Yeah. Of <laughs> Dave's Listen. head on Daniel Radcliffe's naked body. So that's right. Not, yeah. And I did not create this photo. Neither did I send it. I was not involved in the creation. I mean, you were around. I, I was, uh, I'm alive and, <laughs> and I work with the people who did it, but I never once forwarded this 
or created this or had anything to do with it. I just want to be clear that everyone who can hear me right now that I had nothing to do with the creation or promulgation of this. You can uh, just stop now because this section of the show never made it into the final cut. No matter what you say right now, it never got said. I had nothing, no, no, I'm just saying I had nothing to do with it. And it got forwarded to a, a work contact. So that, there, that happened. <laughs> that was, as we say en français, the real life. Wait, um, so did the person totally blow up about the nickname? Well, so it, it so happens that it wasn't just he wasn't the only person CC'd. His entire law firm was CC'd. Well, it's just really so, one other person. And, and, right. and so, like, one of his coworkers was like, hell are you talking about? And so then we had to explain to everyone, if you work with us, you'll probably get a nickname. If you don't like this, we'll change it. But then, as I think it was Nastasia said, but just remember... The next one may be worse. No, I did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Anyways. Uh, all right. From Daniel uh, Wallingworth via the Instagram. Hey, Dave. I'm looking to get a Cajun deep fryer. Is there any major benefit in getting the six-gallon fryer over the four-gallon? Daniel, two gallons, baby. Uh, I don't know. I forget. Wiley has one, and he likes it. The um, Unlike the fryer that I was talking about before, which is made of stainless this one is uh, the ones that he has not made of stainless. They are painted to be outside, but what they have that a regular fryer doesn't is an integrated water shedding cover that covers the vents and covers the oil so that you can walk away from it and leave it outside uh, and it works. So a larger fryer is going to give you a, uh, a bigger batch size uh, to be able to fry effectively without getting too much uh, oil temperature drop, but you're using uh, you're using like 50% more oil per time you load it. So, you know, if you're doing smaller batches, right, like normal human being sized batches for like a family of like 10, right, four gallon is, well, what do I normally run? Mine was, I, I don't think in gallon, I think in pounds. Like, I, like a, a good small size fryer is 40 pounds of oil. I don't know how many gallons that is, right? A 40 pound fryer. So in a, in a, a 40 pound fryer is a good size even to feed up to like 12, 13 people because you're not also abusing it at home, right? Because you're only frying for an hour or two. Uh, but, but the thing is, is that at home, if you're not filtering your oil properly or you're not taking care of it, your oil is not going to last very long. So it's going to get a lot more expensive if you're using a six gallon fryer and you don't need it because you're going to be throwing your oil away pretty much just as often as if you had a four gallon fryer, but you're just going to be throwing away an extra two gallons each time. And so the kind of that's, that's what I'd say about that. The other problem with the problem, the other issue to realize uh, uh, about the Cajun fryer is that, um, a real commercial fryer, right, has a, uh, a thermostat on it and you can set the temperature and it fires up and then turns off, right? Uh, Cajun fryer does not. Cajun fryer, it's just got like a throttle on it and you have to tune it up and down just like a pot fryer on a, on a stove, right? And it's shaped like a commercial fryer, like it has the fryer shape, the uh, fryer kettle, but I can't remember if it's a tube fryer or not. I think it is. Anyway, Wiley likes his, but just remember it's not thermostatically controlled uh, and uh you know, anything over 40 pound fryer, unless you're frying commercially for large groups of people, is gilding the lily, in my opinion. Uh, Sergio Torn wrote in via Instagram Hope you guys are good and experiencing what quarantine joy is left. Oh, joy, right, Stas? You're loving it, no? Loving it. Loving it. Loving what it. What is it? Vegan, celibate, sober. This yeah. one's for you. Uh, what's his name? T tennis player? No. Djokovic? Who? No. Can't remember his name. Do you remember, John? No. You know what I'm talking about. How many of those are by choice? Just a vegan? Yeah. yeah. I guess sober too, right? Well, that's just because I told you that like, whatever. Anyway. Um, uh, where would I start looking into info for any books you could recommend on how to use starches in cooking? I know you're not writing that book anymore. No comments, Nastasia, please. Haven't you been mean enough to me already today? I'm over it. It's never going to get written anyway. See what I'm saying? You couldn't help yourself. Is it going to get written, John? I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> it. 
Guys are the worst, man. You know what? You know what Nastasia said that about liquid intelligence. She said the exact same thing. You had Maria on your ass. You had no choice. Dave, you know how you could fix this? You could prove us wrong and write us. You know what? I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not Dax. I'm not like. You know. He's welching on his responsibilities to turn in the. It's not welching. It's not welching. First of all, I need to know this: Is welching a slur against the Welch? Oh, I didn't even know it was related. I don't know, so I'm asking. Is it Welshing or Welching? We say Welching in my family, not Welshing. Welching. Ching, with a CH, right? Hmm. Someone just just looked it up for us. Well, actually, it's Welsh, but in the present present participle, Welching, failed to honor a debt or obligation incurred through a promise or agreement. Yeah, yeah. No, no one likes a welcher. They're the worst. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather have you. I'd rather have you be, uh, you know, uh, almost anything. But like, is it? Isn't it like a, a, a crack against the Welsh people? That's what I'm asking. Oh, okay. You know. Anyway, yeah. Someone else. Someone will find out for me. The dictionary speculates maybe, but it says it doesn't know. It says yeah. unknown origin. Yeah. Right. I, I, I believe etymology is like I believe in dietary cults. Uh, like nine times out of ten, they're horse crap. You know what I mean? Not nine times. Often they're horse crap, especially in the food world. John, you, you have to agree with me there, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Uh, all right, on starches. So I don't know what your uh, kind of technical bent is, uh, Sergio, but um, they're somewhat outdated. But the Egan Press uh, books are fairly easy to get uh, online. Uh, and they are a fairly good, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, introduction to starches and the terminology of starches. Uh, and then there are some fantastically expensive books on starches. Um, uh, I forgot to look them up in, in advance of this, but a lot of them can be kind of, I'm not going to say illegally downloaded, but they can be illegally downloaded. Um, but I would start with the Egan Press books. Um, because there, you can absorb it in like an afternoon. And once you absorb the Egan press book, you'll be able to read all of the technical literature. And then, uh, I can't remember what national starch changed their name to, but they have a bunch of online documentation about individual starches. And they actually used to point you to the Egan press book. So even though those books are now probably 15, 16 years old, I mean, starch has changed, hasn't changed that much. So I would go look at that. It's a good, like hundred page, like you know, nicely laid out introduction, as are most of their books, by the way. So, so like, um, and by the way, when they're doing starch, they're not doing flour. They have separate book on wheat flour. Uh, that a good enough answer or no? Yeah. Yeah, that works. So. They can yeah, always like... follow up if they have uh, more questions. All right. Hey, Dave. All right. Hey, Dave. You don't know me. My name is uh, Maite Cabrera. I'm from Chile. I've never been to Chile. You guys ever been to Chile? No. Oh, no. I've always wanted to go. Never been. Where am I gonna go? Anyway, I would love to go though. Uh, uh, I work in a bar, I'm reading your book, Liquid Intelligence, and I still cannot understand how to measure how much water uh, of dilution to add to a cocktail, to cocktails by the pitcher. For your example, your Manhattan. Uh, I don't have perfect, perfect English, so maybe the answer is in the pages, uh, but I still can't find it. Can you help me find out? Thanks for your time, and sorry if it's too weird to ask. Uh, thanks. It's not too weird. And as, um, as my wife tells me, my, like, if you, I wish she did this for a living cause she's so good at it. But the problem is she's good at her real job too, but she's like a fantastic editor, my wife. And so she's like, uh, she says, if, you know, if you can't understand it, you probably shouldn't blame yourself. You should probably blame the writer. Probably my fault. Um, you know what I mean? Because I didn't explain it well enough. Uh, otherwise, it would have been clear. Um, and I didn't get a chance before the show to go reread the, the section. But uh, back when I was writing, I was writing that book probably, it came out in 2015. I was probably writing it in 2013, right? And uh, at that time, a lot of people had kind of, they would drastically, radically, underestimate the amount of water that was in a cocktail like by a lot uh and because people were throwing around numbers they would just use the word dilution and they would say this has 20 percent dilution which is a standard thing people would say and 
and I was like, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm taking the base recipe and adding 20% to it? And no one would know. You would ask people and they wouldn't even know what they said. So what I did when I was writing the book and what you can do when you're trying to figure out uh, dilution, and if you don't care about being 100% accurate, let me give you the simplest because in the book I remember writing it, I was real really complicated and I went into like all like because you have to worry about how much liquid is left on your ice cubes you have to worry about like you know these weird thermal effects and all this just do this like uh take your drink pour it you know take take your the the drink that you've made right that before you dilute it right a standard way for a Manhattan let's say just mix a Manhattan right then weigh it then stir it how you normally would till you like it, and then strain it, but be very careful. Try to get as much liquid off as you can off of the ice, right? Then weigh it again. And almost all of, I mean, all of that is water. Now, again, there's some difference because some of the cocktails still left on your ice cubes and whatnot. But water is very interesting because one gram of water is also one cc is one milliliter of water so you can very easily if you just if you if you do your initial recipe in in milliliters or ounces or whatever you want uh and then you weigh it you can figure out how much water was added to it and even without doing any sort of like complicated math you're going to be within five or six percent of the correct answer like right away. And then just make one with the water. Make sure you chill it first before you taste it, otherwise it won't taste right, and see whether you're right. And what I always do is I'll, I'll do it, and then I'll add a little bit more water to the drink that I've already made to see whether or not I like it better, more diluted. And as Toby Cicchini said, and I believe him, uh, the older you get, like the more diluted you tend to like your cocktails, which is an interesting fact. Straight spirits, I still want to be straight, but as I get older, I do like things a little less, uh, a little more diluted. I don't know. Uh, you got none of you guys are old enough to have this phenomenon have happened to you yet, um, as far as I can tell. But have you have you guys noticed a difference in your preferences over time in your of your life? No. No, not too much yet. I also like things drier than I do. I, I like things drier. I like things. Uh, I like things drier, and um, I like things slightly more diluted than I used to. But in general, with cocktails, especially if you're a bartender, like you tend to like things on the less diluted side, and so it's a good idea to try stuff with a little extra dilution. Just add a splash of water, see whether it changes it for better or for worse. If nothing else, you're going to learn whether or not your recipe is robust enough to stand a, a difference of dilution. Uh, from, oh, by the way, I want to give a shout out, uh, when I was in the Berkshires, I forgot to mention this like weeks ago when I was in the Berkshires, I was going to give a shout out last week, but then Nastasia Lopez's house was knocked down by the big bad wolf. What was that? What was that tropical storm called? Ooh, um, Isaiah, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So like literally the reason Nastasia left was not merely because she was disgusted with me but because her power was completely wiped out for a full week, right? So uh, the first week that she left, this was two weeks ago, I guess, like she left in, like in the last five minutes because like her house just completely turned off in this windstorm, right? And then the week after that, she was just starting to get stuff back and some idiot knocked over her uh, internet. And that's why we didn't have it last week. And then this week she told me before we got on air that her internet is like someone has taken like an ethernet cord and run it all the way across Stanford, like to her house, right? Is that what happened? It's true, yeah. There's like a cord going across your lawn? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So crazy. Anyways, so uh, I wanted to give a a shout out to uh, Aaron Oster, friend of ours from, uh, formerly from Cesare's World and the French Culinary and the Italian Program. I went to his place, AOK uh, Barbecue in the Berkshires, right by Mass Mocha, right when Mass Mocha opened, and uh, had a good time. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Check him out if you are in the area. He's actually in the parking lot of Mass Mocha. And so what's n- nice for him, I guess, uh, is that, um, is that the, kind of that whole parking lot 
of Mass Mocha, they're not really having people park there. They've turned that entire front parking lot into outdoor dining. And so it's kind of cool. Anyway, um, from, uh, what is this? Uh, what do you think this is? What do you think this person's name is? How do I break? Is it Joe Ackerman? Joe, I think it's Joe Covander. Joe Covander. All right. Uh, I've taken the science and cooking Harvard course uh, where you participated. I have a question in respect to the egg cooking section where you show that a, at 54 degrees Celsius, the egg maintains uh, its form. Uh, I don't do 54, I do 57. But yeah, the egg maintains its form, i.e. its raw form. And then you add that, uh, and you add that that egg is... Uh, been freed of salmonella issues. Have you got an article webpage that provides more information about it? Because I couldn't find much info in my country. Uh, science food in, in, in my country's uh, food science department tell me that 71 degrees Celsius and my cooking school tells me use greater than 65 degrees Celsius. If you look up the thermal death curves for salmonella, there's no thermal death curve for salmonella that, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say 54, 57 is what, is what I do. And, um, 57, if you look at the thermal death curves for salmonella, is plenty to kill salmonella. Those higher numbers for killing salmonella are um, because they want you to reach it and only hold it for 15 seconds. Uh, I am holding uh, this temperature for like 45 minutes or an hour, at which point it's pasteurized. Um, so if you just look up at the FSIS, if you look up their salmonella thermal death curves, and again, they're using things for uh, meats, which are actually more difficult to kill salmonella in than an egg because the temperature distribution is harder to get uh, right across it because in general, it's easier, I think, my memory serves, in general, it's easier to kill bacteria in very highly aqueous solutions. Um, my other question is if the structure at 54 degrees, remember 57, uh, if the structure at 54 uh, Celsius keep, uh, keeps the egg into its regular composition or form, has it changed in any way? At 54, it shouldn't change much. At 57, after an hour, it's slightly thicker. I've done tests where I have uh, used uh, pasteurized eggs done this way in cocktails and then unpasteurized eggs, and there is a slight, slight difference, but it's very slight. So uh, obviously its composition or form has changed in some way, but in a very, very uh, slight way. You can't cook it at 57 degrees Celsius forever. It will eventually start setting up on you, but if you do it for an hour, it uh, should be good. Uh, from Interlude Coffee and Tea, um, this is in reference to Jack Schramm from Existing Conditions posting on bottling with liquid nitrogen. So what we do at the bar is we take our bottles and then we pour, like we're going to put a Manhattan in, for instance, because Manhattan's oxidized, and we pour a little liquid nitrogen in. We put the cap on top. Don't seal it! And then we let the liquid nitrogen boil off. Vapor comes out. It looks really cool. And then as soon as you stop seeing the condensation come out, you cap it, and the, the liquid nitrogen, by boiling off, has uh, gotten rid of the oxygen. So that's what we're talking about. Um... I'm thinking about bottling some coffee and for my cafe, coffee for my cafe, and I was wondering if you'd be able to recommend equipment that you're using for bottling. We're just using a hand capper. Specifically, how should I go about safely dosing liquid nitrogen in the bottles? We just literally use a thermos. We sometimes use a, a sauce gun, a depositing funnel, uh, which I love. Uh, they do leak uh, a little bit, but in general, we just pour a little bit in with a thermos, and it's totally fine. So you only need a little bit. And the main safety thing is just never cap it while there's still liquid nitrogen. Never cap it while there's still Also remember with coffee that oxygen is not the only enemy of coffee. So I'm assuming, you know, you know what you're doing. Uh, you know, one of the advantages I think that people have, think about when they think about cold brew is that cold brew is a relatively stable coffee product, right? John, that's, do you like cold brew, Stas? Yeah, me neither. You, Matt? He's gone. He's not about uh, no, I'm not gone. I just couldn't find the mute button. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do like cold brew. I know you are not a fan. Not, not a fan. I'm fine with you drinking it. Going back to the early thing, it's like it's not my thing. John, what about you? Cold brew, no cold. Brew. Cold brew, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the advantages of it, right, is that it it it, it doesn't um, break itself down, right? It lasts. Yes. Yeah. So um, so that stuff I can see. Like if you had some other products that were going to oxidize, that doing this process with a cold brew product, you, you might, you know, have like a lot of luck. The problem with 
coffee coffee, hot brew coffee, is that even, and I, I can't remember, but I think it was Ely did the studies um, you know, years and years ago, and I can't remember whether it was in the Chemistry of Quality, one of their, not the, not the popular book, that, well, popular in big air quotes, but the, the technical book that they wrote. Uh, I can't remember whether it's in that or whether it's in um, one of the papers that they wrote where they talk about oxygen is not the only enemy, that coffee will break itself down even if you kind of package it well. And so just run some tests and be aware that purging oxygen might not be enough for a regular brewed coffee thing to maintain it the way that you, that's all. What do you guys think? Is that it? Is that a good answer? Did I answer this? Yep. Good, great answer, yeah. yep. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. So, uh, I feel like we spent, like, I feel like we spent two thirds of this thing talking about. Let it go. Let it go. What? I don't know. You're like trying to hold on to something here. What? I don't know. What? You tell me. It's a weird Why ending. do I got to let it go if you don't even know what it is? Let go of uh, the ending of the show. Is what uh, I'm fair. Bye. Cooking Issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>